Hi, my name is Uli Hanisch. I'm the production designer of Queen's Gambit, and this is the Go Creative Show. Hello, and welcome to the Go Creative Show. My name is Ben Consoli, and today's guest is Uli Hanisch, the production designer for The Queen's Gambit. Uli, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Good evening. I cannot wait to dive in. First of all, I was obsessed with Queen's Gambit, as I'm sure everybody watching was as well. It's just a fantastic show, and there's a lot to talk about. Uh, but before we get there, I just want to mention our sponsor, MZ Education for Creatives, and of course, encourage all of you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We've got exclusive YouTube content just for our subscribers, so hit subscribe, hit the notification bell so you never miss an episode. Uli. First thing I want to get into is this obsession that our world has with the look and culture of the 1960s. Uh, I feel like this kind of happened with Mad Men. Mad Men sort of ushered in the appreciation of that mid-century modern look, the styles, uh, and really brought the 60s kind of look back into the minds of all the people out there. And I think the Queen's Gambit takes this to the next level. Um, Talk to me kind of about, you know, what that mid-century modern period sort of is architecturally, design-wise. Why do you think we are so fascinated with it? Well, I think you're right. I think uh, Mad Men uh, was a, quite a, a big or, or important influence um, to to get back to the 60s in a way. Uh, but the funny thing is, just when we talk about it, I mean, Mad Men started, I think, something like almost 10 years ago, isn't it? Uh, so it's it's there for a long time already. You can say, you know, um, I don't know exactly how how it is in in the U.S., but I I would say here in in Europe, maybe especially Germany, or specifically in Berlin where I live, I think the '60s uh, have always been here as a style, something uh, people like, and I think that the the '60s have been a, a very fascinating um, uh, uh, decade um, or period. Because I think when you look back into history, I think after the Second World War, you know, it all started again through the 50s. And I think in the 60s, you had the first generation being kind of grown up um, and ready to change society and, and, and the whole Western life in, in a way. And I think it was a, it was a decade of, of, uh, of spirit and of, 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 of dynamic and it was very hopeful uh, and very bright and very young in a way. And I think that we re that reflects on almost everything you will see or or, or you know about the '60s: the colors, the shape, the, the the whole style. Everything was kind of you know nice and and and, and lean and and bright. So I think um, the whole spirit of of uh, progression, you know, is very much uh, 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 visible. Uh, and touchable um, in every little detail of the 60s. That's why we love it so much. Yeah, I agree. And I, th I think it does represent change, change in our culture, change in our world. And that color and that pop and that fun is just so appealing. So, you know, when this project comes to you and you know you now need to recreate the 60s for Queen's Gambit, what is your first step? How do you start finding the inspiration for it? Well, I mean... You know, the funny thing for, for the job I do is that it's never really uh, separated from the story, you know, what you, you're about to, to, to visualize. So in this case, I think the, the first step 
for me was really to to read the novel. So the producer came up to me and said, "Look, we have this, you know, we have this miniseries happen, and we want to come to Berlin or however. However, um, please, can you read the the novel and tell me what you think about it?" And the novel of Walter Tevis um, is just great, and I fell in love with the character and the problem she's facing and how she's dealing with it and all these kind of almost supernatural talent she has. So I think that the story was really uh, the, the very first grip for me to take um, and, and to embrace. And then I think at that time we were still doing the, the third season of Babylon Berlin. And at that time we have been working uh, for the, you know, to, to recreate the twenties the, the as a, as a, as a period for almost, I don't know, four or five years. And I was kind of, uh, even though I love the twenties and I really love them a lot. Um, and funny enough, they, they have, they represent almost the same qualities what we just talked about, uh, you know, about the '60s, just on a on an earlier level and in a, a bit of a different level. That's also why people love the '20s so much, by the way, yeah. for the same reason yeah. in a way. Um, it's just that the '60s obviously are a little bit closer to us um, as a generation. But um, I was so so happy at that point to leave the '20s behind, and uh, like you know, like you said, everybody loves the '60s. So do I, uh, and I've done movies uh, of the. 40s, or 50s, and the 60s before. I've never done it in this kind, in this way, and I've never done it on the American side of life in a way. So I was very excited to to explore that. Um, and then what happens when you know to prepare uh, for a, for any for every movie or every show or every project like this is always the same. You start to research. Simple as that. You know, yeah. it's it's always in our case, it's always even in a way easier because you know the story. You know the subjects and whatever kind of uh, places uh, uh, and and or technical worlds or whatever uh, content in a way would come across or come along, and then you know you start to research, in, you know, for the specific worlds or places at that era, at that period. So, for example, for, for me, it was very uh, new and you know because I've kind of never seen that before was something simple as uh, the orphanages. You know, what would an orphanage look like in the 60s in America? You know, I really had no idea. Um, yeah. And that's something you just start to uh, to research and, and collect, and you know, pictures and photographs and whatever, uh, start reading about it. And um, so we always kind of start what we call um, the, the, the visual concept kind of booklet which usually is pre-designed um, and only really collects a couple of hundred or, or maybe thousand of images through the the story and the period, and, and that's that's the that's the the starting point really. Now, do you have a staff with you? Like, are you with a team of people that are doing this research, or is is this research phase just when it's you before you really start digging in too deep? No, it's on the one end. It's the you know, I mean, in, in our world. Yeah, I'm not a company or something. I don't, you know, I don't have uh, people, f you know, steadily with me. But I have a group of people I usually work with. Um, at the, you know, as I said at that point, we were actually right in the middle of Babylon Berlin. So um, I was asking somebody, not for, I mean, of course, from the crew who was not working with us at the time, just to join in, and she would sit with us in the same office and start doing that. So we were able to communicate and. Because I, I know or knew at that time, if we would do the job, we would do it in Berlin and we would do it with the same group of people anyway. 
So I just hired somebody else. And that's how we usually start. I usually have two or three, like the, the closest uh, colleagues, you know, the, the closest group of, you know, I, I work with and we start together and usually we are two or three people and we have a couple of weeks for this kind of research um, um, time. Aside from just going on Google and looking around, are there are there resources that, you know, production designers kind of know about, little little secrets that you guys use in your industry that just is beyond a typical Google search? Maybe not. I think, you know, uh, I think that the, maybe the difference is that over the years, of, co of course, everybody around me, be you know, became quite an expert in, you know, about researching. Um, so if I just remember how, you know, how when we started to research on, on you know, through the Internet, which, of course, was is entirely different than what we did before. I think, you know, looking back, I mean, I'm doing this, this quite a long. I think the last film I've done uh, without using the Internet was something like 2000 one or something like that maybe right and that was a period movie as well that which played um in the 50s in germany and it was all what it was about soccer and football and all that stuff so i remember we were i think also three people and I, at that time we had like six weeks or something for for the research and i think the 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 output and the amount of images and the quality of the image uh, which we could we, we were able to find at that point by having, you know, meetings with archives and traveling, whatever, to bookshops and libraries and stuff like this. I think we would do that nowadays with two people in a week or something. So I must say um, that, of course, searching through the Internet um, made everything so much easier in a way. The only thing which is maybe to, to be said uh, if you compare, you know, the, the, those kind of systems is or, or ways to do it is that um, the only good thing about wasting time is or, or spending so much time is the time itself. So the, you know, the faster you go, the more you have a tendency to stay shallow. The more it's kind of difficult to find stuff and to that you have to make just like ten phone calls just before you get to the right person to talk to and then make an appointment and then go to meet the person and then get the right images. You know, imagine how complicated that is, right? Yeah. And then in the end, you get three images. But maybe on the way to get those three images, you have learned other things, right? Now you have you spend a morning, you know, in front of your computer and you have 30 images, but you haven't learned a thing because you, it was so easy to get those images. So, you know, I think it's, it's always, it's interesting not only to look at the images, uh, or look for the images, but it's all, always very important to go or uh, to dig into the subjects you you you, you want to research about. What is a production designer's role on a show, uh, on a TV show? I mean, what was your role on Queen's Gambit? What what was expected of you? Well, I mean, the general thing about the production designer is, or the the responsibility, or whatever, however you would call that, is to come up with an idea how the world is supposed or should look like or should be like the the, the world we you know we are building of the story we want to we want to tell so that is like the, the the one phrase kind of answer and of course it holds a lot of aspects so that's the first point i think and then of course you need to talk to the producer or director and i think what is the most important thing in the beginning is to find out what the motivation is in general and i would always ask the director or the or the producer uh, 
why exactly do you want to spend all that time uh, doing you know, or, or talking about this issue or showing this kind of story? You know, what is what is the motivation? What why are we doing this? And sometimes it's it's harder to find out, and sometimes it's very obvious. And um, here, with this with this very very strong uh, and struggling character, I thought it was rather easy to to, to understand you know the meaning behind it. Uh, and I also think that if the moment you have a specific and 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 um, almost weird story like this, uh, it makes it easier to find you know. Um, your own system uh, of, of of choosing what is right and what is wrong, because here in this Why case, that? because uh, you know, once you can decide that everything you look you're looking for, or you or, or what you want to design or 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 decide about, if that goes through the brain or the eyes of your of your character, um, then you can't be wrong. And here mm. in this case. You know, knowing that you have this kind of this kind of lost soul, and she she knows nothing about anything, and she nobody ever took care about her education or her her social skills and or emotional skills or or, or give love to her or whatever is makes that makes it very makes her very peculiar. And I think also when you when you watch the this, the, the the series, you can see that the, the camera did exactly the same. The camera is very often. F um, not only either following her or looking through through her eyes as a, as a point of view kind of thing and explores the world, um, which makes a big difference. Um, so so the filmmaker, the storyteller is very interested about her and what and how she explores the world. And um, because of her abilities and the way the whole the whole story is structured, I kind of realized in the beginning that we have. We, we are always talking about a genre here. We are always talking about something like a fairy tale. And the moment you have this kind of headlines, you know, uh, um, on top, um, you can choose or you can pick, or you can make every decision th oh, through this headline. And once you want to tell a fairy tale, you, you have to uh, build a different kind of world, you know, I, I, I was watching some other shows, uh, you know, basing, uh, based in the 60s afterwards. And once they get, imagine you're talking, of, you're telling a story about um, like uh, racism and you have a black uh, main character who's struggling in his life and it's very political and it's, you know, full of violence and, and injustice and stuff like this. You know, you can't, it's impossible to create the same world for this kind of story. Yeah. So as production designer, you're creating the world of the show. My assumption there is that you're basically touching every department. I mean, from wardrobe to props, probably even cinematography. Uh, it, so, I mean, you must be in direct communication with every department as you're creating this world. Yes. Um, I mean, uh, props, you know, kind of belong to our department anyway, um, and everything like cars and stuff like this. Costume is a, is a different department. So here I, I'm not really working on that. I have conversations, but in a way I kind of, you know, as I said before, having all this conversation with the director in the beginning, and then I kind of, I represent him. Maybe I represent the script. I represent the character or characters. And then I start walking and, and, and go and see um, what is, what would be the right, what would be right for them. Um, 
And that is, let's say, you know, I said it's, it's the first step in trying to get a hold of how the whole thing could look like. In a way, I don't know how the whole thing will look like in the beginning. I don't want that. I don't want to know that because I think the whole process, which you know, comes after the words or through the entire process, is so much more interesting and important than my own little opinion in the beginning. Um, so it's a development. And then, uh, of course, what is interesting, especially on a show like this here, is um, when, you know, I mean, imagine how funny it was for me when they asked me to do this and I read the novel and I found out that 90% of the film plays in the U.S. and there's only this tiny part in Moscow and a tiny part in Paris. And I mean, let's say in this case, Mexico somehow belongs to the U.S., US even though it doesn't, obviously, but um, this kind of world. And I asked them, why would you, I, why are you coming? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> why are you using me? Yes. What do you want here? And what did um, they say? <laughs> exactly. And um, for them, it was very easy. They, they said, you know, because we need to cover Paris, we need to cover Moscow, we need to come to Europe anyways. Um, so we want to, we, we are interested in how far we can get there. And that was their first question, you know, in, into my direction saying, what, what do you think? How much can we cover in Berlin? And then after analyzing the, 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 the story for the first time, of course, realizing that it's an, it's so much an interior world and she read, she's not really interested in the exterior world. You know, um, she's, she's always inside is simply said. And uh, so she's, you know, inside the orphanage, then, she, you know, starting, you know, in the basement, then she's at the weekly house, you know, of her, uh, uh, adopting parents, what do you call it? Foster parents. Um, and from then on, she starts to travel, but then we see her in a plane, then we see her in a hotel room, and then we see yeah. her at a tournament. And that kind of goes on and on and on. Um, and then we were kind of looking through our locations here in Berlin, um, thinking about some great and, and, and interesting and, and unusual places, you know, to, to, for, especially for the tournaments. I think we started to look for all those tournament places, for all those ballrooms or conference rooms or classrooms yeah. or, you know, all these kinds of, of, of stuff and realized that we have a lot to offer in Berlin. Also, maybe because of the, the history of Berlin, because we have this kind of very clearly Western-based part. We have the Eastern-based part. We have also because of the history, you know, there was a lot of construction and architecture happening in the 60s in Berlin because everything was... This, you know, destroyed, so it had to be rebuilt. So there, that is, those are reasons for very many different kind of places and styles. Um, and we put together a collection of of image of location images and showed them to the to Scott Frank, the director, and and to the producer Bill Horbuck, and they were just blown away. They thought, you know, they couldn't believe their eyes. I'm glad you brought up um, finding locations for all the different chess tournaments because. You had a you had a pretty significant challenge here. I mean, th of all the people watching Queen's Gambit, uh, I'm sure that there's a good percentage of people that really don't even have a general interest in chess, have never watched it, don't know how to play, don't know anything about it, and they're watching a show where so much of it is happening in you know during chess tournaments, and you are tasked with having to first of all make people interested in something that they may otherwise not be. Um, in this case, chess, and you also have to have all of these tournaments happen, but they're different. They look different. They get bigger. They get more established. There, there's so much happening. 
with these chess tournaments. What what was the biggest challenge that you faced when having to, you know, like I said, uh, having to create worlds that people are interested in when the thing that they're watching may be something they know absolutely nothing about? Yeah, it wasn't such a big challenge because it's the same for, for myself. I'm not into chess at all. Uh, I, I think my, my, my younger daughter taught me to play chess when she was 10 a couple of years ago, and we were playing from time to time, and I'm really bad. Um, so I'm not really into it, and I, I, you know, it's just not the way my brain works. Um, so it, it wasn't the same for me. I'm, you know, I, I couldn't go through the, <laughs> through the chess itself, um, but I don't think that the whole story is about chess at all anyway. You yeah. know the chess and and is is just uh, it's a it's a funny example they 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 picked um, and it's much more about it's basically of course about the, her problem of being disconnected or never you know have been being connected to anybody and trying to connect with the world um, and then she's given this talent and she's dealing with that and also with the problems of that um, so actually. Everything she's doing is, I mean, she's doing everything we all do. She's kind of struggling her, her, her way into this world, you know, and, 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 and having kind of one battle after the other. Her battles are more uh, complicated because she is so lost um, and she has to kind of fight for so much uh, because there was no place kind of given to her any, at all. And... Therefore, every tournament and every important chess game through the tournaments is representing some some other kind of of, of life battle. So it's, you know, sometimes it's like really a violent battle. Sometimes it's about romance. Sometimes it's about acceptance. How whatever. So in a way, the the whole journey is um, is is like a journey through life. And therefore, we. Our first idea or, or or decision really was that, of course, also for for ourselves to to have a structure and an idea where we would be, and also for the audience, is saying we wanna we wanna really make every individual step of her journey significantly different um, and kind of meaningful with you know around the the the, the specific. Um, problems she's dealing with at that at that specific point um so and that is like the or that was the base for the visual concept saying you know when we talk about um las vegas it is just it's all this you know hideous glamorous las vegas kind of style it's a lot of tacky gold it's it has a specific uh, color range um so once we would have used this kind of stuff for las vegas we would never use it again you know, then, for example, uh, Mexico before was like the pure opposite in a way. Everything was red and, and totally different. Then, of course, you know, we had something like Paris, which represents clearly this kind of uh, European old world kind of grandezza. Um, yeah. And then coming to Moscow, where you have the brutalism and the, the Soviet kind of style and everything is very dark and brown uh, and maybe black and white and, and heavy. And you don't really understand the rooms and they're kind of frightening uh, uh and and of course the the tournament place becomes like a what you said like a cathedral we actually cathedral, call it yeah like we ca we call it the, the the temple of doom you know this kind of intimidating uh, situation for her so and if you if you follow those kind of ideas um then 
it may, you know, that's what I meant before. It makes it easier to come up with a decision or an idea. You know, if you have this, all these range of tournament places, and if you don't, uh, you know, if, if, if it's clear what is the most important stuff, let's say about the Moscow to tournament place, and it's the, it's this temple of chess. And the idea is, and the headline is intimidation, you know, and also yeah. showing that how important chess is or has been at the Soviet Union, totally different in France, in Paris, where we decided that the, the, the tournament is called something like an elite kind of classy little thing, you know, it's like a soiree at the afternoon, you know, and you have like maximum, I think we had something like 20 something or 30 people sitting around and everybody's sitting on little golden chairs and stuff. And it's extremely elegant and, 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 and Parisian. And it's the, the sheer opposite than everything we did in Moscow. But once you have a, a strong subject and a theme, then you can't go wrong. I want to talk about how you pair your designs with your characters. Um, there's a few, there's a few particular sets that I wanted to talk about. And certainly you can bring up any that you want as well. But I'd love to start with the, um, the Wheatley home, uh, because that goes through a transformation midway after Alma passes away. So, um, it, there's a significant change there because the ownership of the home changes. Um, but talk to me about that. So you're designing this home for the foster adoptive parents of our main character. It's in the 60s, uh, but it has to say something about Alma, her husband at the time, and the, the relationship. Talk to us about that. Yeah, well, here, uh, um, well, of course, the thing is with the, uh, every kind of private home and interior um, set or, you know, room place, uh, obviously has totally different kind of um, uh, meanings for the story and for the characters and also other possibilities. Um, so the Wheatley House in a way was clearly the heart and soul of the entire story and the show. Uh, yeah. Plus that we, that we knew that we have a lot of scenes happening there. So it's a really, it's almost like the main set of the show in a way. So you can put a sure. lot of effort into that. Can you know, much more than the place which you have like one scene playing and you just rush through it somehow. So, uh, and as you said, the thing is that he, once you start designing something like this, this interior, you, you, you only can do that by talking about Alma, the, the, the mother, Alma Wheatley. And then thinking, okay, of, of course, she, we, I think we enter the house in, I can't remember exactly, let's say 61 or something. Um, so in the very early uh, 60s or, or even late 50s. <clears throat> and at that point, we would think that she has lived there for something like probably 10 years already, right? Uh, maybe a little less, but uh, about 10 years. So clearly the house was kind of built, or not built, or, but uh, designed uh, or furbished uh, in the early or mid-50s. At the same time, we are in Kentucky, um, we kind of learn that they don't have too much money. We also understand that the marriage with this strange man is some sort of joke. Something really went wrong there in the, right in the beginning or even before. And she got stuck there and she's restless and she's very lonely and she's very unhappy. Um, so what she does is what everybody, especially maybe also at that, at that period did was kind of building up a facade. So, it needs to be like shiny, happy, all-American dream. Uh, but you know that there's something wrong because it doesn't really work. Um, and that gives you, I don't know, 
an idea about the the hysteria of the house i th i think what we did there was kind of kind of hysterical um yeah. i think we had this uh this blue note uh, from the beginning on because it's even mentioned in the novel that she has this she always wears kind of blue clothes and um and in the beginning i thought maybe we i get rid of that because you know maybe it's it's the wrong idea but then kind of, i then i kind of liked it because being blue you know has a meaning you know yeah. especially in the in the in the english language um so in a way it, it did make sense um then of course once we got uh, we, we 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 went into the the research of this you know all these kind of design and interior this kind of home uh, magazines and how you would how you would dress your home at that time we realized that the hysteria was always there you know if you look at the magazines and how bizarrely overdone you know they 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 created that and of course a lot of pattern mixing and matching lot, it's of, just it's yeah and there's fabrics, a million things happening and another fabric and another curtain and another yeah. wallpaper and another matching something and uh, it's interesting because you mentioned madman in the very beginning and if you compare that another reason why of course we look different is because we are somewhere else yeah, yeah. we're not at this kind of high end super slick um uh, new york kind of ad advertising business surrounding everybody's cool and state of the art we are in very laid back kentucky in this kind of uh, desperate housewife kind of lonely home um, yeah. and plus a little bit earlier even so uh, we play it uh, with a different kind of note and you know as i'm explaining it right now it's it's kind of an emotional thing it's not so much design driven actually it's 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 very much kind of emotion driven and um to do this you know uh, the the way we work you know me being the production designer my one of my my most important colleague is what we call the set decorator in in our case it's uh, her name is Sabine Schaaf and we also worked together you know many times before and she is very she's a genius in um being fearless with with colors and with patterns and with also leaving good taste behind so the joy is always you know coming up when something goes really over the top and in the beginning we were not quite sure how far we should go and sometimes talking to scott about it the director and he said no 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 there are no limitations if you say we have the feeling that we go over the top then he would say please do and go even further and that is very important um and once i had the feeling that i really can believe him <laughs> um we did and that is then uh, that it becomes it's 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 a joyful process really so but one of the rooms in the um wheatley home is ultimately ends up being beth's bedroom and you can tell that uh alma has prepared this room for what she thinks is like the perfect girl's bedroom it's so over the top Talk to me about that because that's a really that's a it, it continues with the hysteria of the house, but it also says a lot about Alma's mindset. Exactly, we thought that um, because they they never had a child before, and and as you also understand in the, in the conversation that in a way you have the feeling that they are adopting a girl because they cannot get a pet, you know. So the, so this whole idea is is a is a bit, little bit. You know, almost dodgy in the beginning when we have a feeling. Okay, he bought her the the grand piano. 
they cannot have pets because he's allergic or something stupid. And um, then they say, oh, let's have a girl. And um, she has no idea. And I think she, uh, our idea was that she has expected to get uh, a doll kind of girl. Um, Because, I mean, you know, it's hard to to order a, a child from a catalog. So you have to also to deal what you get. Um, um, so she's in our, again, our, our joy was to do something which is not really matching her personality to say it's, she's a little bit too old. She's way too serious. Uh, she is, um, way too intellectual. She's not girly enough. I mean, she's not girly at all anyways, because she doesn't really even know what that would be. Um, so it is more, of course, also something playful for 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 us or for her or to give her something playful at the same time we we realized that regardless that you know this the hysteria and how wrong the style for her is in a way it doesn't matter for, for her because it's the first time in her life that she owns something you know like this for herself and yeah. she loves it you know even though it's not a matching partner or something it doesn't matter so we were trying to make it hilarious but also you know nice you know because there's always or sometimes there's this thin line between something which is like i don't know you would never really uh choose that for yourself but once you get it it's like sometimes you know getting a hilarious uh, uh a birthday present from from your grandmother you know yeah. you unpack it and it's something it's like what the heck is that you know, you would never bought that for yourself, but it's because it's from your grandmother and it's, it's, it's so much filled with her love and you love her that you start to love the item, you know, and that's yes. the process actually. Let's take a quick break and talk about our sponsor, MZ Education for Creatives. Now, when you go to MZ, you will see hundreds of hours of high quality video-based filmmaking education in all the categories that we know and love, like directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and more. It's basically everything. Everything that we here at Go Creative Show want to know, want to learn, want to be better at. And it's all there at MZ. Now, you can go and buy individual courses, and that's great. Um, but I suggest you become an MZ Pro member because when you do, you have access to the entire library, every single thing on there. And believe me, you're going to want it all because the education is fantastic, but it's really the secret sauce there is the trainers themselves. On MZ, you've got really world-class trainers. I'm talking about Vincent LaFerray, Shane Hurlbut, Philip Bloom. The Ari Academy is on MZ as well. And Tom Cross, the editor for La La Land in Whiplash, is on there doing a whole course on the art and technique of film editing. And there's just so much more. That's only scratching the surface. So best thing to do, head over to gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. Check it out for yourself. If it looks like something you want to participate in, and I think you, I strongly suggest you do. I get a little secret for you. On checkout, if you do GCS20 as your promo code, GCS20, you're going to get 20% off of whatever you buy there. So that is really just, it's a win-win-win, a little, some extra, you know, some extra cash for you. It helps us here at Go Creative Show, helps support our show, and of course, it supports MZ in the thriving filmmaking community at large. So check it out for yourself, gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. It's time to hone your craft and be a better creator at MZ Education for Creatives. 
So midway through the season, Alma dies, and Beth now is the owner of the home. And she goes through this process of kind of stripping away some of the over-the-top decor, kind of modernizing it, making it a little bit more hers. Um, talk to me about that transition. Well, yeah, I mean, it's exactly like you've just explained. It. There is this moment when she decides to buy the house uh, and to stay there, and then... Um, her next kind of decision is to, to change it accordingly to her. And we were thinking about um, how much or how far would we go? Um, because there's also this very nice moment. I remember in the, in one of the scenes when she's, when she's getting all the old paintings and stuff together and put it in some boxes. And in the middle of this process, throwing everything away, all these ugly paintings of animals and stuff, there is the, the, there's a, like a picture in the frame of her mother of, of Alma and she kind of touches it, and of course she puts it back, you know, mm -hmm. because she she doesn't want to get rid of her. So I think that is like that's the balance which was kind of uh, important for us to keep in mind is that she doesn't. It's not like you hate something and you want to get rid of everything and start from the scratch. Uh, it's it's in between. Um, so. And of course, now she has developed her own personality and her own likes. I mean, up until that point, the house was not hers. And she just kind of was was thrust into this environment that wasn't her. Now we're getting the first look at what does a Beth home look like? And the funny thing is with the character is that I, and I think that came also through costume. And I liked it very much that she herself has a uh, surprisingly good taste. You know, you can see it, how she dresses. And so yeah. we thought, okay, once she starts doing this, she's doing pretty well, you know? So it's it's not like perfect, but it's it's pretty good. Um, and she would also not do every room because she, want, she wants to keep something. For example, we had a very long discussion if she would change the master bedroom of, of, of Alma as well. And then we decided she she would keep it. She just gets rid of, I think, all her stuff from the from this cupboard, from you know the, all her clothes. Uh, but she keeps this hilarious wallpaper and all that because she honors her mother and she stays in. She. It's also funny that she moves from moves from her room into uh, the the master bedroom. She could you know, could stay in her room, but she doesn't. Um, but then she keeps it, you know. And that's a that's a that, again, it's a fine it's a fine line. And actually, you know, I don't know if if some people have kind of recognized that we kind of made a joke because there's a scene when she is back at Ben Snyder's. You can, can't really see that exactly where she is, but you see her in something like a furniture department uh, in, a, in a department store or something, right? And she kind of moves through this little department um, and looks around and sits down and on a sofa. And the next thing we know is that she's renovating. And every, actually, we put every single wallpaper, every fabric, and some of the main important f furnitures, which we have obviously, you know, uh, decided and collected before, uh, into that department store scene. And everything you see there is later on the stuff she uses at the house. So in a way, the idea is she goes through the department store and just buys everything. <laughs> I love that. I want to talk to you about the way that you designed the hotel rooms that Beth is going in and out of throughout the entire series. I mean, like the um, like the Wheatley home, she's always kind of put in places 
not really against her will, but she she doesn't have much control over the places she needs to be. She went to the Wheatley home. She was at the orphanage. She goes to hotel rooms that are out of her control. So it's she's always having to make her own. She always have to make herself comfortable in a variety of spaces around the world. Um, but the hotel rooms also have to reflect where they are in the world. So I'm sure that's a unique challenge in and of itself. And could you talk to us about the way you approached the hotel rooms in these various locations? Yeah, I was. I think I was trying to do, to explain it before. Every city, every um, for us actually, um, every step of the journey, every city, uh, you know, represents the next step of the journey. So when we were always. For us, it was always the same. So uh, Mexico, Paris, Moscow, however, um, it was always just the, the whole package. So the tournament and the, the hotel rooms. Actually, we even took care about um, the upholstery in the in the in the planes in the airplanes when she's mm-hmm. when when she's flying to the next city. So because we sometimes had even some somehow uh, the, the 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 matching airlines. So look at the look at the upholstery of the Mexican airline seats in the plane they you know the whole the whole mexico theme starts already there you know oh wow um and so we made this kind of huge decision for every city and once we have established or we established that we just went with with this kind of style guide through the entire uh station of the of of the journey you know in a way you know and always again say because we want to be so clear and um and also for the audience to know, you know where we are exactly, that we will always want to go very strict with the concept and always very much over the top. So, I mean, like the the, the, the whole idea was to go over the top in, in every decision. Every place is a little bit too big or too strange or too much. Um, so we just continue to do that specifically for the hotel rooms as well. Actually, uh, actually the two hotel rooms, Mexico and um, Las Vegas, uh, we have built on stage and we use the same set construction. So the, the hotel room is the same. We just oh. kind of remodeled it from, I think we started with Mexico and then we, we remodeled it into the Las Vegas one, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, I, w- one idea we kind of came up, I don't know exactly when we started to do that, was that when she's, I think, yes, exactly. When she starts to travel alone, we thought, um, we were t- we were thinking about um, hotel room art, you know, because hotel room art is always terrible because it's kind of meaningless and and shallow and, and it doesn't want to bother you um, and can can be anything. It can also, of course, be pictures of the city you are in or whatever. But we decided we give her some company. So every time um, we picked some images, actually of um, girls or women. Um, ah. so that she's not so alone. And we also didn't want to bring some men or manly men in there. For example, in, in Moscow, of course, the first choice would have been, you have these kind of sturdy, you know, socialist workers and communist heroes and stuff like this. But of course you can also find women doing that. Right. Um, so we were, we, we always try to, to have some, to give her some nice company. So you always find, uh, kind of sympathetic or nice women or girls. I didn't. So in the artwork, you're saying in the artwork of the hotels, there were people in them. I didn't pick up on that. No, it's very subtle. <laughs> that's oh, that's great. It's just the paintings, you know, at the wall in the hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. I love stuff like that. Those li- like I, I have spoken with production designers before that add little 
they add little, um, uh, just little Easter eggs or little little hints and secrets in the production design, uh, inside jokes, something that's really just for them. Um, I've seen that happen quite a bit in some other TV shows and films. Like, is is this just what production designers do? Do you always like to leave a little something in your films that <laughs> that you can uh, always reference back? I don't know. I mean, sometimes that happens, you know. But um, but you know what? Uh, I think I, I kind of prefer, you know, the, the, the way I was just, I, I just dis- described and saying, I rather leave something personal behind for the character. Yeah. I'm looking at some of the pictures of the hotel rooms now, and I'm noticing now, yes, in the artwork, there's people. I did not pick up on that before. And I, I think you're right, because you don't really see that in hotels. The the artwork is really, it, it's nothing. It's It really isn't anything. Yeah, exactly. Did you have a favorite set to design on Queen's Gambit? Well, I think in a way it it, it still was the, the Wheatley House, you know, because mm-hmm. it was, as I said before, it was such a hard piece of the whole show. And I've also, for me, it's rather than that um, um, when w- once I would start with the prep and start the design process, I would actually like to, I have to start with something important in a way. And knowing once we know how this will look like, we know much better that, uh, how everything else will look like. So I think we also started with the with the Wheatley House because the funny thing was, of course, again that we were shooting um, some, some some few days in Toronto and outside Toronto to cover the the the, the, the few American exterior street kind of locations, and we also were looking for 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 an exterior location for the Wheatley House and found it in this beautiful neighborhood in this kind of street which we cannot find here. Um, then we painted that blue as well and stuff like this, but it was really only the exterior. We never set a foot inside. And at the same time, the department here, the crew in Berlin was designing the interior and building the interior house um, on the stage, on the soundstage. Um, and that was something where we, where you know, we spent a lot of time and a lot of heart doing that. But honestly, I don't know. I mean, the good thing, and maybe that's why everybody loves it so much, we loved it the same, you know, because they're, they're, whatever we did, every set was funnier than the next. You know, we loved to do the, the Mexico thing, uh, the tournament. We, Las Vegas, I think, maybe is is the second favorite. But I also love to do all this this uh, sinister kind of uh, uh, Soviet Moscow kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, you really got to design a lot of looks in this series. Um, and there's just so much more to dive into, but we're getting close to the end of our interview. And I wanted, before we leave, to talk about the use of color in the show, because you're, the show takes place at a time period where color is just, is wild anyway. Like the, every, every color is being embraced in the 60s, and it's just this big pop of color. But were there specific colors that you were using to drive um, uh, character development? I think I I cannot use a color any color without connecting it to um to the character or the or the purpose of of the the character or the or the room for the character. So yes, mm. um, yes. So um, I think I tried to explain that before going through the city. So every city became or got a, a different kind of color. Um, we had. Um, we ha- we had a specific color range for the for the orphanage. Um, in a way, when I look back at it, I think you know be- because it is not blue, but it has this greenish blue and some some brown and stuff. Um, maybe I should have been or should have done it a bit, bit 
stronger, you know, different than the Wheatley House because the, the blue of the Wheatley House is kind of the center part of the, of the whole color range. So every every other color around, you know, had to reflect or to accept that the blue for the Wheatley House is like the is the center part of the whole thing. Um, but anyways, I think we kind of manage it pretty good that that every city and every place looks so different. And um, of course, when you look at I think the biggest contrast is maybe between Paris and Moscow, you know, because uh, Paris is so royal um, and so flamboyant and, and decadent in a way. And everything is tiny and, and, and kind of baroque, goldish. And, and I think we had some grayish blue there as well. And we had a lot, lot of um, gold and, and black in the tournament. I think that was the main color here. And then you then you travel to Moscow where you have almost no colors at all. It's all really so dark and so brown. You have some red, which is almost brown. The brown is almost uh, black, and the black is black anyway. So you know, then you're gonna lose the colors um, because that's the that's the the idea of the place. You know, in in in, in a way. So that's the simple um, system behind it, really. And it seemed to follow her storyline too. And maybe I'm looking too deep into it, but it felt like to me the story kind of begin began and ended in this place where it was sort of it was sort of desaturated there wasn't a lot of color like her 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 past whenever you do the flashbacks they are always sort of desaturated then you go to the orphanage which does certainly doesn't have a lot of color her story arc as she becomes you know the successful chess player that she is and ultimately wins goes through this big wash of color but it ends in the same place it ends in this kind of cold gray not a lot of color place and to me, when I watch it, it's saying that it it, it really was the, the the journey of getting from, you know, being exposed to chess and then eventually becoming successful in winning. The journey was something she certainly enjoyed. But what it came down to is her just simply playing chess one on one with just a person. It, it didn't need the flash and the pomp and circumstance of the of the um, tournaments. It's just the game itself. And it seems like when you when you represented just the simplicity of the game, it was always desaturated. And you see that in the very last scene when she's playing chess on the street. There's really no colors there. That I think that's a very important thing. I mean, beside the fact that, you know, you can also look back and, and you know, of the colors of chess, which is black and white. And yeah. if you're saying that, because um, so there are no colors. There's, there's no green chess board or something, or, or you can get one, but it doesn't make sense. But, you know, what you said is, I think, is very fascinating because it's true. Starting in the basement uh, with Mr. Scheibel uh, to learn chess, and you always expect something ter terrible to happen there, uh, which is not happening um, because he's just a grumpy old man, but he has a very big heart. Um, and then coming to Moscow and getting into this, into this sinister, intimidating uh, temple of chess, and I think the most important moment then really in the in the payoff is when the moment she she wins is that her arch enemy Borgov kind of gets up and hugs her yeah. and smiles for the first time, you know, and is happy for her. And then I think what is also important because you know for for you know for some reason we always see Moscow when she arrives and enters the or or leaves the the tournament place, it seems to be always dark. 
you're saying even the afternoon of you know of course in in Moscow would be dark and then you know suddenly for the first time when she afterwards somehow she sits in that car and she wants to get out and take a walk it's it's like a it's a cold morning but it's for for some reason it's the first time of course we see like a like a bright morning you know and even though the surrounding is still kind of soviet kind of you know sturdy um i mean always of course also her being dressed in white and she yeah. looks like a like a white queen that's i think obviously the idea of the costume which is great you know and then she she gets into this group of of this old man um and and suddenly what has changed is that she realizes that the the world can be friendly because yeah. i think those old men they kind of represent nothing but friendliness you know um and she's she's she understands that she has arrived in the bright so she she comes from the dark she goes through the colors and then she ends in the bright yeah I love that. I, I I always like looking into color stories and just kind of picking that out as it goes because you know every everything that you see on camera is a decision. It doesn't just happen, and a lot of those decisions are made by production designers. So it's always fun for us to talk to you guys and learn more about your craft and you know how you how you came to the decisions that you did on the show. So everybody, you already know Queen's Gambit available now on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, you must because it was definitely one of the best shows of 2020 and. Uh, just such a great, um, just such a such a great story, and uh, really just visually beautiful. The cinematography is amazing, and of course the production design as well. So, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much for for your time. I want to thank Uli Hanish for coming on the Go Creative Show and sharing his experiences as production designer for The Queen's Gambit. Of course, Queen's Gambit is available now on Netflix, so check it out for yourself if you haven't already. I want to thank our sponsor, MZ Education for Creatives, and of course, our producer, Connor Crosby, for putting it all together behind the scenes. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com. Uh, and Dave Siegel over at seagullsound.com for mixing, mastering, and making the show sound so good. Check them out at seagullsound.com. All things Go Creative Show are at gocreativeshow.com. And there you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And I suggest you really look at our YouTube page because we're putting some exclusive content just for our YouTube subscribers. So definitely check that out uh, and let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you think of everything. Go to our website, leave some comments, get involved in the conversation because this show is for you. So the more you let us know how you're feeling about it, if you have any guest suggestions, throw that on there too. We love the communication. We love the back and forth and we love all of you for listening. So we will see you next week on another episode of Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. 